0: Amen. Well, names are important. I don't know about you, but when we named our children, we, we took great care to name them. And there are different thoughts, different processes you can go through when naming a child. You can say, I want to name them after somebody. Or perhaps you might name them uh, with a certain quality that you hope that they might possess. You might name your your daughter Faith or Hope or Grace or Joy or something like that. And when we look in the Bible, we see a lot of times where, where someone is given a name and that name is to be something that that person will be or at least something that they hope that it will be. When God gives you a name, though, when God gives you a name because he is sovereign and because he is omniscient, we know that Not only is that something that he hopes that you will be, but something that he knows you will be. And in Exodus 3, we see a passage where God reveals to us his name. And so we know, in the revealing of his name, to a certain degree, we see who and what God is. Follow along with me now as I read from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This is the inspired word of God. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came back to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses! And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. excuse me, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the fact that we have the opportunity to read it, to know you through the revelation of, of yourself in it show yourselves to us now here today in Jesus name amen well Moses had been at this point we see at the beginning he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law he'd been a shepherd a shepherd for some 40 years and you can imagine day after day on the job 40 years the rigors of the hard work the the weather being outdoors just the, the tediousness of of doing the same thing day after day after day, he, he had waited and waited. And now, now at this point, God had a task for him, not just an ordinary task, but an amazingly immense and important task. And I just paused to think, as I was preparing tonight, what it must have been like for Moses waiting for this day to come for 40 years waiting, waiting, seeming as if nothing ever changes, knowing that surely God has plans for me, something something better than this, something beyond this coming. And it occurred to me that perhaps there are those of you who are here tonight that are in similar position, sitting day by day at the same desk or standing in the same place at work, day after day saying, is this all there is? Does God not have something more for me? And I tell you, from the example of Moses, God has a plan for you. It might be more time where you are, it might be something grand, but whatever it is, it is God's plan for you. You are not waiting because God has lost track of you or because He doesn't care about you. He has you right where He wants you to prepare you for where He is taking you. Be encouraged in that. For Moses, he was being prepared for this moment when he would come across a bush. And we see in verse 2, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of that bush. Now, when it says the angel of the Lord, we understand that what this is saying in all reality is that this is God who is speaking to him. God is speaking to him from the midst of the bush. We know this because this phrase is used elsewhere in Scripture, but even more directly we know it because in verse 4 right here, it comes right out and says it. It says, when the Lord saw that he had turned away to see, God called to him out of the bush. So he is having an encounter with God, with God Almighty, the God of the universe. And God calls out to him, Moses, Moses. And notice how Moses replies, Here I am. Now it would be easy for us to take that and think he's just saying, uh, Moses, Moses. Uh, yeah? Huh? Well, what's that? But that's not the sense of how we should take this. We should understand it as far more than that. When we look in Genesis 22, we see Abraham about to be tested by, by God to sacrifice his only son. And God calls to him, and Abraham says, here I am, that same way. And we saw, see from Abraham's actions after that, that he is ready to serve, ready to walk in obedience, ready to do whatever God has planned for him. We see Isaiah come before the throne of God, and behold God in his glory And God proclaims from the throne, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I am, uh, here I am. The idea here is not just a, uh, well, I'm here, but I am here and I am teachable and I am wanting to do God's will. And so we understand that that is where Moses was. We understand that that is where we need to be as well. And so Moses comes respectfully before the Lord. And we see in verse 5, God says, do not come near. The reason that he says this is because of the holiness and the mightiness of God, the awesomeness of his glory. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12, 28, which says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I can't help but think of that verse and apply it here to Moses, that he is indeed, as he sees this flame in the midst of the bush, offering worship with reverence and awe. God tells him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And I ask you to consider what makes that ground holy. Is it the fact that that is the, the best land? Is it the fact that it is the most beautiful vantage point? No. What makes that spot of land holy is God is there. It is God's presence that made that spot holy. And that is why it was holy ground. And here is the wonderful truth for us. Christ is our Savior and His Spirit indwells us, then God is present with us at all times. And if God is present always, then the ground upon which we stand is always holy ground. It is always sacred to the Lord. And so we should always have an attitude of coming before the Lord as Moses did. Does this mean we need to walk around with bare feet all the time? No, I don't think so. I think the fact that Moses was beckoned to remove his sandals here was not because, uh, you know, it's like walking on a white carpet and God's afraid you're going to make it dirty, but rather was was a sign of, of a, a cultural uh, sign of respect and of removing shoes. So we have other signs. We have more than what we're wearing on our feet, I guess. I think it speaks to how our heart is when we come before God. So both when we come before him in a sanctuary like this, indeed, we have a, a call to worship at the beginning. And perhaps we say a prayer, we read a Bible verse, we We prepare our hearts to come before God, and that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing, and we ought to do that. But in reality, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we ought to be thinking in terms of, is my heart right to come before God now, at this moment? And if we find that it is not, we need to confess our sins and repent of our sins and turn to the grace of God. Be washed clean of the sin that is in our lives, and then come before God in the righteousness that He provides. It is there for us always. So I ask you, when God calls out to us, are we willing to say, Here am I? Maybe He doesn't call out to us quite like this out of a burning bush. I've never had that happen. I dare say, none of you have either. But he does speak to us. He does call out to us. He calls out to us in his written word. He calls out to us through his spirit working in our heart. He calls out to us through the body of Christ of which we are members. And when he calls out to us, are we ready to respond, Lord, here I am. John Calvin says, for it is often happens that God presents himself to us in vain because we presumptuously reject such great mercy. What a great mercy it is indeed that God would even present himself to us. What a great mercy it is indeed that he would present himself to us and we would not be stricken dead right there. He is a consuming fire. So we ought to come before God as Moses did humbly, reverently, thankfully, and seeking to do his will. So Moses said, here I am. We see a a second I am statement here in this passage. We see, I am the God of your father, God says in verse six, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's identifying here not just that he is, he's not just some random God who just kind of has a feeling that he wants him to do something now, but he is tying in, he's plugging in to the covenant promises that he has made to Abraham and to his offspring. He is reassuring Moses of the faithfulness of his promises that he has made I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will make your offsprings as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you The land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God has made these covenant promises, and He is showing His covenant faithfulness. And here's the beautiful thing for us today these promises which were made to Abraham, these promises for His offspring, now apply to us as the church. As we have been tied into these promises, we see in Romans 9, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But in Galatians 3, we read, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so... The promises made to Israel of old are now applicable to the church, as the Gentiles too have been grafted into this Israel to form a new people, no longer divided Gentile from Jew. And because of that, because we are God's chosen, we are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a wonderful word this is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Since we are his people, we can be sure that that just as he has surely seen the affliction of his people in verse 7 in Egypt and heard their cry and knew their sufferings, we can be confident that he too will hear our cries. He will see our sufferings. He is not unaware. He will see us through them. And he will ultimately, just as he came down to deliver out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring Israel up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So too, he will be faithful to deliver you from your afflictions, from your troubles, from your distress, ultimately taking you to an even better land, the heavenly new Jerusalem. He is faithful He will do it. He is our God. And know that if your faith is in Christ, you have been clothed in his righteousness. And Psalm 3415 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Take comfort in that fact, brothers and sisters. Take comfort in it. Well, Moses, even though he did take such comfort, still had some questions. God tells him in verse 10, "'Come, I will send you to Pharaoh "'that you may bring my people, "'the children of Israel, out of Egypt.'" But Moses said to God in verse 11, "'Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh "'and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? "'Who am I?' There's something very good about that question. There's a humility in that question. "'Who am I? I I can't do that, God. "'I'm not capable. I'm not, I'm not powerful. I'm not strong. I'm not very convincing. I, can't, I mean, this is Pharaoh I'm going to go talk to. Get real. There's no way I can do this. There's a, a, a right humility that Moses has here. But even though that humility is right, there's something wrong about it too. You see, because he's asking the wrong question. He says, Who am I? And God answers him. He answers him not with an answer, but with another question. And that other question is truly the ultimate answer. Moses asks, Who am I? And God answers, I will be with you. That's who you are. You are the one that I am with. And that's what matters. That's what matters. I am with you. It's like if you tried to get into a real exclusive event somewhere, you you probably couldn't get in. But if you were with the guy who was throwing the event, you could get in because of who you were with. And that's what God tells Moses here. Who are you? No, that's not the question. I will be with you. That's, that's what we need. That's what we need to remind, remember. It doesn't matter who Moses is. He's not going to do anything by his own power anyway. It's the power of God which is going to accomplish that. And so we need to have this same attitude when God calls us out to do something that may seem too difficult for us. He may put something in front of us and we say, I just can't do this, God. You know what? You're right. You can't do it. But God can. So often I hear people say things, you know, trite little expressions like, you know, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. That's so untrue. God is constantly giving us things we can't handle. And then he gives us the grace to be able to handle them. He is with us and he will enable us to stand up under those things that we would not be able to stand up under otherwise because he is with us and that is what matters and so Moses goes on to query God and asks you know, well, well what if the people ask me uh, you know, what is his name and God said to Moses in verse 14 I am who I am and he said say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you Moses is asking here what, what he should say is his name. He's not just looking for like a reference, say, oh, you've recognized this name before. What, what he's asking for is what we talked about before, this idea of, of the name having meaning. Who is it that is this God? And beyond that, what impact does that have on my situation? Is this a God who can actually take care of me? Is he a God that can actually help me? Is he a God who can actually do something about where I am right now? That's what he's wondering. Could this God do anything? And God responds, I am who I am. He is saying in this statement that he is the self-existing God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He is saying that he is the eternal and unchanging one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is saying he is faithful to his character and his promises. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This is who that God is. And he can do it. So when we look to the New Testament, and especially in the book of John, we see Jesus using this name. I am. Repeatedly he uses it. I am. This name which God has said is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Time and again Jesus uses this name. We're going to look at a number of those occasions on these Wednesday nights that follow. We're going to see how he uses that name and what exactly he is trying to teach us about God and about himself. But make no mistake of it, when he uses this name, he is claiming to be God. One such example is John 8, and verse 56. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Did you catch that? He didn't say, Before Abraham was, I was. He says, Before Abraham was, I am. It's no grammatical mix-up that Jesus is making here. He knows exactly what he is saying. And you know what? The Jews knew exactly what he was saying too. Because we look in verse 59 and see what their response is. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones to throw at him because the penalty for blasphemy was stoning. And if Jesus indeed was not God, then he would have rightly deserved to be stoned. It was the right reaction of the people, except for one small thing. Jesus was God. And Jesus is God. And so it was the wrong reaction because of that in Jesus we see the eternal word of God become flesh in Jesus we see God he says uh, John says in chapter 17 verse 6 of his gospel I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the who you whom you gave me out of this world the idea Jesus says I've manifested your name I have shown who you are. I have given a picture to it so that people might see it. I have made you known. If we see Jesus, we see God. And if we know Jesus, we know God. And this is a message that is perhaps more relevant today than it ever has been. In a day when everybody has their own idea of truth, when there are no absolutes, when people have their own idea of who Jesus is and just about everything else, we need to know that Jesus claimed to be God and he is God. In closing, I'm reminded are the words of C.S. Lewis, who wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are the eternal I am. Unchanging from time, eternity to time, eternity. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and we find our identity in you. We find our strength in you, and we find our comfort in you. We know from Proverbs 18, verse 10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. May we run into your name, that wonderful name in which we pray.